Passage Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Bass Edge Radio, ready to rock it out. June 15 episode, y'all. We are kicking it. Aaron, what you got, brother? I am enjoying the weather. The pool's open. Just got back from vacation. I'm all relaxed and ready to go. Just had a uh, summit meeting, I guess, with MegaWare Keelguard. Their sales have actually skyrocketed. You and I, Kurt, I think we should Yeah, take... Bass Edge full credit. We, we, we need to give <laughs> Bass Edge 100% credit for that. But no, seriously, it is good to hear. And that means want to thank all of Bass Edge Nation. And if by chance you're just tuning in for the first first time. Bass Edge is always title sponsor presented by MegaWare Keel Guard. Be sure to check out their entire lineup of products. First do-it-yourself keel protector, the skate guard, the flex step, all of the things that you need for your boat. Visit them at keelguard.com. Definitely great folks there at Keel Guard. You know, I, I remember we were talking last episode. You were getting ready to head out to Maine there in a couple weeks, early June, and then coming back and kind of getting into the swing of your own summertime as you tried to extend spring up in Maine, which sounds pretty awesome. I was able to get there uh, a couple falls ago. What'd you think of Acadia? Did you eat enough lobster? How did it go, buddy? Well, uh, to start out with, trying to extend spring, considering that uh, where I was at, other than Tucson earlier <laughs> in the spring, Missouri didn't really have a spring. I think we went straight from winter into monsoon season and then right <laughs> into summer at 80, 90 degrees. But uh, yeah, I will say, Kurt, it was a little cooler than what I expected. I, I almost didn't pack enough clothes. But the scenery, of course, I'd never been to that part of the country up into the northeast when we kind of went into upstate New York and and did all of that uh, several years back. That was really as far as what I got to see, but just fantastic. We love going to the national parks. A couple years ago, we went to Glacier and Yellowstone and stuff like that. So we're trying to kind of put the rotation with the girls. Every couple years, we go see some. But quite honestly, a beautiful part of the country. I can see why a lot of people go there in the fall. I'm sure just as pretty as what it was this time of year. I'm sure even in the fall, it just adds a whole nother type of brilliance. But yeah, I am lobstered out. Felt like uh, (laughs) the character on Forrest Gump when he talks about how many different ways he can eat shrimp. That's right. It's a lot of fun up there. Great to uh, have that experience with your family. So that's that's awesome to have. And and speaking of family and and my kids, I know uh, your kind of extended family is the kids camp that you do every year of which always sells out. There's not a spot to be had and you bring in guys. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. That's right. We're in full bore right now with uh, session one. Uh, we've got 20 young adults down here fishing the Lake Amistad and uh, having a great time. Our instructor list is phenomenal. Lots of FLW tour pros, legends like Denny Brower, just taking these youth out here to Lake Amistad, teaching them how to fish, four-day camp, giving away $3,500 in college scholarships to the highest performing anglers. And it's just been a continuation of a ton of fun. This year, we did add two sessions. So we do have, I think, one or two spots left available in session two, which is July 24th through 28th. So if you know a young angler that is obsessed with bass fishing, wants to learn from some of the best national and regional pros, come down to Lake Amistad. We've got a full core system formed. You can just contact me through my email, dovekp at hotmail.com. You shoot it there, or you can go to our website and click the uh, contact tab, which is 
probasscamp.com. But yeah, man, it's a great program. Really enjoy putting it on for the youth and um, keeping them in the outdoors. It's a lot of fun. It's fun to watch the youth grow throughout the week. You can just see the light bulbs going off and they pick things up so quickly. Man, it's amazing how many great anglers are 14, 15, 16, 18 years old. It's freaking awesome to see it. It just drives the passion even a little bit deeper. Yeah, the talent pool is, uh, I mean, us old guys, work's cut out because that learning curve continues to get steeper and steeper for young people. So appreciate you doing that. And, you know, it really means a lot to not only the continuation of our sport, but also getting them in a position to really have success. And it's going to be really cool, Kurt, when you look back on this in a few years and you see that some of your attendees and some of the very kids that you taught have went on to make professional careers in the sport. That's when it's it's really going to hit you. But, uh, hey, speaking of hitting us, the clock is hitting me right now upside the head telling me we need to get on to another great piece of information and that is through our protecttheharvest.com tackle tip. This is the protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with Drew Benton. You know, when I'm fishing docks, marinas with a spoon, uh, my go-to setup is a 707 heavy action Phoenix MBX rod paired with a high-speed magnesium loose reel, 20 to 25-pound Seaguar and Vizex line. Huge deal for all the cables and cross members. And I like a 6-inch Nichols lures, gizzard shad flutter spoon with a feathered trailer hook on the back. And pitching it in there, letting it go about 10, 15 feet jerking it up three or four times and then going to the next slip. Be sure to try that out next time you're fishing docks, marinas with a spoon. You'll have success, I promise you. Great tip, Drew. Thanks. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine Products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and Marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Let's keep this thing moving and cover one more topic. I am done for the season. Our events are over, but you have a very important one that is left, and that's uh, right there at Lake St. Clair. Yeah, you know, I love going up north, catching smallmouth. It's been a passion of mine for many, many years, and I'm looking forward to going to St. Clair. A lot of different options this time of year. Bass are pretty much done spawning. Might be one or two left up there somewhere, late bloomers. But, yeah, it should be a great event. Who doesn't like catching three to four, five-pound smallmouth? So uh, that's what 
I'm going up there to do. Looking forward to uh, end the season off strong. I'd probably have to win or finish in the top five, and a few anglers struggle pretty bad to uh, make the cup, but uh, neither here nor there. I'm looking to go up there and just have a good, strong end of the season and finish as high as possible in the point stings and, and let everything fall where it may. But um, yeah, I'm excited about it, so uh, ready to move along. I know that, Aaron, you wanted to talk about a little topic that uh, we haven't covered a whole lot here at Bass Edge Radio, and that's Carolina rigging. Always a wonderful tactic to use in a post-spawn and summer-type situation, especially as it drags on throughout the hot heat of the summer and fish get deeper and are a little bit more lethargic and slower moving. Carolina rigs a great natural presentation for that. You know, it really is, Kurt, and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring up the topic, this has been several weeks ago, but at the last tournament that I was at, I was out prepping my tackle and was tying stuff on, and there were several bass clubs staying at the same uh, hotel that I was actually at, and, and one of them came up and, and started asking questions about it, just trying to learn and giving some feedback, and actually as a listener of the show, but said, you know what, can you guys talk a little bit about Carolina rigging? And I wanted to pick your brain a little bit and maybe just do a, a real brief roundtable discussion on everything from length of the leader to using a swivel versus a bobber stop to, you know, those little uh, plastic collars that you can actually place on your line, size of weight, you know, those type of things. And, and just get some sure. dialogue going on what is the best way to employ the use of a Carolina rig. First of all, I think a lot of uh, Carolina rigging is obviously conditional, just like most things in bass fishing, whether you're using a heavy spinner bait or, or a light spinner bait or a big willow blade or a Colorado blade or a wide wobbling crankbait versus a tight wobbling crankbait. That all extends right into Carolina rigging. And um, it sounds like we try to over detail things sometimes, but it's really important to put yourself in a good position to catch the bass. So here's a couple of things that you want to take into consideration. And, and the first thing is clarity of water and type of cover that you're fishing. If you're looking at really clear water, shallower water, you want to go with, you know, some of the lighter lines and lighter weights. I'll use, you know, down to a quarter ounce weight on a Carolina rig. Let's say I'm fishing some hydrilla, some grass where I really want that bait to flow naturally over top of the grass or down along the side. If I'm using a real heavy weight, it's just going to bury up in the grass and it's not going to give my lure a nice natural presentation behind it. So I might use 12 pound test with a 12 pound leader. I like to use fluorocarbon in clear water. So leader length, um, generally clear water, a little bit longer. But if I get around heavier cover or dense cover like grass, I might want to make it a little bit shorter because really a lot of times that weight is creating the attention of the fish, you know, so that weight dragging on the bottom or dragging through the cover is really what's getting the fish to focus on this object that's moving over here. So when you have a heavier cover situation, you want your bait pretty close to that weight that's really kind of making that commotion. When you get into an open water situation, I like a longer leader. Those fish will hear or kind of detect that weight bouncing along the bottom and really just kind of moving along. And then that lure comes naturally, you know, maybe three or four foot behind the weight, really just gliding back there, giving a natural presentation that really elicits those strikes. So depending on where it is now, going to heavier line, sometimes I'll even go to braided line on my main leader and then go to fluorocarbon 
excuse me, on my main line, braided line, and then fluorocarbon on my leader. And um, the reason for that would be if I'm in some thick trees, um, I know I've got heavy cover around, maybe some abrasive stuff around that, you know, a lot of your line is going to take the beating right there where the weight is coming through the bottom because you're dragging it on the bottom. And I think it's also really important to know that there's two ways to really work a Carolina rig. You can either drag it really slow or kind of drag it fast with a slight hop where that weight kind of hops through. You're not really ticking it up and down like you would a Texas rig, but dragging it pretty quick, giving it fast hops or just really dragging it slow. But both ways, I like to keep my rod parallel with the water, not adjacent to it like you would with a Texas rig where you want your rod tip high at 11. Yeah, so instead o'clock. of going to like from six to noon, you're kind of going. That's from exactly three, right. Yeah. yeah. From three to six, or, you know, whatever it is, you know, kind of along the side. And, and that's because you want to keep that weight contact with that bottom. So that's really important. But Long story short is that Carolina rigging is a very effective method, really from pre-spawn, then into the post-spawn period, and then the summertime period. I think those three behavioral patterns really conducive to effectiveness with that technique. That's a good explanation. The only difference that I would add is, you know, a lot of times, Kurt, above the swivel in a dirtier water situation like what you mentioned, I do like making sure that I have some brass beads under Mm -hmm. my main line versus the plastic. I think that brass sends off that ticking sound and just draws a little more attention in kind of that dirtier water situation. But if I can't get them to bite, you know, a big worm or a football jig or something like that, Carolina rig is definitely an effective way to trigger some strikes. Another thing that that bead can do too, Aaron, is, and I know you know this, but just for Bass Edge Nation's knowledge, is help protect that knot. You know, we talked about the abrasion that you have, you know, with dragging that weight along the bottom. You know, that weight keeps pounding against that knot where you've got your swivel connected. And there are some other ways to do this. You know, there's a Carolina Keeper some people like to use. I'm big into the swivel and then using the weight, you know, and a lot of times with the bead, that bead's going to protect my knot. But also what that's going to do is when a fish strikes my loop, the weight isn't going to move on the bottom. Initially, when the fish strikes the lure, the line is going to pass through the weight and pass through the bead. So it's going to be a very natural, no resistance when that fish initially strikes. Whereas if uh, you're using a keeper or something, no matter where that fish moves, it's going to move the whole process with it. You know, you see a lot of these pre-made up Carolina rig sinkers where you just tie it on really quick and they're effective. They work and they are easier to use, but um, I much prefer the old school technique where you're sliding on the weight, sliding on the bead, tying on the swivel, and then tying on the leader at the end. And if you tie it properly, you can get great knots in all connections. Typically, what you want to do is tie the knot to the hook first and then tie the knot from the hook and leader line to the swivel. That will effectively give you a better knot connection overall in the system. One quick thing, you know, a lot of times when you're in a tournament situation, Kurt, everybody, you know, when they break off a Carolina rig, one of the biggest things is because it's so time consuming, you retie. So it's like, oh, I got to sit down and spend four or five minutes. You know, you can actually rig up the swivels in advance. And a lot of times I just wrap them around a piece of PVC pipe and I'll keep those together. That way, if I do break them off, uh, you're ready to go and you only got to do half the process at least. But hey, speaking of saving time, we're going to move on. We have queued up right now, ready to go. He's a familiar face. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. 
This is 2018 Bassmaster Elite Angler Chris Crow. This is FLW Cup Co-Angler Champ Brian News. I am Pro Angler Clark Green. This is BASS Angler of the Year Greg Hackney. I am Pro Angler Bill Lowen, and you are locked in to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Well, Bass Edge Nation, we are here with another Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Today, we break down some early summer tactics with longtime Bass Edge friend, TDJ Oilfield Services and FLW Tour Pro, Pete Ponds. Welcome back to the show, Pete. Great having you, buddy. I'm tickled to be here, guys. It's an honor and a pleasure, always. Well, I got to say this real quick, Aaron. We never forget Pete Ponds' laugh. If you go back to the Bass Edge shows, when Pete laughs, it makes you smile. <laughs> That's all. Because there it is, there it is. I knew I would get that giggle. I love that giggle because that's right. Because he's always tickled to death. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you put him in that mood, Kurt. That and a good enema that'll do that to anybody. Well, Pete, as well, always, it's, it's, it's starting out good already, guys, and I can always tell you, Bass yeah. Edge Nation knows long enough, Pete, anybody that has followed us since 2007 knows that you have been a staple part of the program, and uh, I'll let them go back and listen to the wealth of information and watch uh, all three seasons of Bass Edge TV to see you on there, but, you know, I want to jump into something a little bit different. Kurt covered it briefly in the opening, TDJ Oilfield Services, that's one of your sponsors, your main sponsor, and, you know, certainly oil prices have bounced back up being in the business that I'm in. I watch that stuff, kind of have to. But you have a unique way of incorporating your sponsors into kind of the non-endemic, like a TDJ oil field services that, you know what, I, it's not like I'm going to use their services, but talk briefly about that piece and kind of what you've been up to the last couple months and how things have been. Well, you know, the oil field services at one time was booming and then it went through, a, you know, a lull and now it's coming back strong. And these guys, you know, I was at the right place at the right time, you know, ate lunch with them basically and, and offered to take them fishing a little bit and entertain them some. And, uh, you know, it all fell into place. I think they had a little bit of extra money. And, of course, that's a rare commodity, but the truth is they did. And uh, I told them I had a habit that was expensive that I couldn't get around without some type of sponsorship, and that's how it all fell into place. Great people. You know, I can't say enough about them. I don't think I could stay in this business without them because it's such a strong strong deal for me you know whenever they carried took me on they're all from louisiana and they made me feel like family and he actually said teach your family now so you know i feel pretty secure in that and it's just a great company and a great company to be with as well and learn so much from them i mean these guys are just super super people and just know how to have a good time and enjoy life you know you know it's the salt of the earth people you know and that's kind of why i think all of us are in this sport and why we can have so much fun doing it is just the quality people that surround it yeah i think we're all about the same we all have the same interests in a lot of the same hobbies so i think it all plays together you know myself personally i've been uh, just trying to get ready for the season you know and it's already over almost you know flw tours starts real early and then they finish early as well so going on maybe fish some of the coastal events and some of the other stuff i'm pretty excited about but that's about all i've been doing and uh, just trying to catch fish 
Pete, that's great to hear. You always do such a great job out there on the FLW Tour and all the other places that you do your promotion. That boat wrap there with TDJ Oil Field Services always sticks out. I know they're getting a lot of branding impressions from that. And you're hosting a lot of fun fishing time with those folks and some of their clients. So um, that's always a plus. You know, Pete, entering this time of year, this is when probably you do a lot of your hosting with TDJ and some of their clients and their employees there at the uh, Oil Field services group that you represent because this is when people think about going bass fishing a lot of uh, recreational anglers aren't thinking about it from november all the way through march and april but once june turns and you really have this consistently nice weather you know the cold fronts and the pollen break and everything like that and they're thinking hey you know what it's time to pick up a fishing rod and go try and catch a bass What do you like best about fishing in this early summer period? You know, trying to help some people pick up that rod, get out there, catch some fish. What kind of tactics and patterns are you looking for right now that are going to be successful? Well, I think some of the first things that you look for early summer, those fish start migrating out to the ledges and they start gathering up together. And one of the most exciting things that you can do out there is take, you know, like a bandit crankbait throw out there and catch five, six, seven, eight bass in a row. And in the summertime, especially in the early summer, just outside of the spawning flats, man, this is certainly a place that they'll stack up and you can catch numbers of fish. It's really, really exciting because you can go through some with, you know, like I said, a crankbait and then uh, follow up with some type of soft plastic, you know, young dinger or something like that, working on Carolina rig or a lizard and uh, catch those fish that are left over. But normally what I look for in this is I look for areas just outside the major spawning flats, the very first drop, the very first ledge, or as the creek comes in, you know, there'll be a stump or two on the sides of it that seem to hold fish, and it's traditionally the same places every year. You know, once you get yourself affiliated with a body of water and you get accustomed to it, then you almost can predict where they're going to be at what time. And if you don't know it, then a lot of the local anglers around there will know it. I mean, you know, the tackle shop's a good place to talk and go online and talk and be people a lot more free online than they've ever been before and it's certainly a good place to check well pete you bring up about throwing that bandit crankbait and catching four or five bass in a row and i will attest to all the listeners out there i think it was season three we were filming a tackle tip and you were throwing that very same thing it was on a point in a river and i think you caught four bass on back-to-back cast off of a little eddy point off the main river in a small river and that certainly goes a long way and you know i've known you a long time and you have an uncanning ability not all pros not all good fish can break down and explain and show up-and-coming anglers or novice anglers what exactly needs to be done and how to catch bass. What do you think this time of year is the easiest way for anglers to be able to jump in and to have some pretty quick success when they hit the waters? Well, you know, I think, of course, the time of day that you get out there plays a big concern this time of year. You know, after the bass spawn, and I know we're in June, it's a little bit later on in the year, but after they spawn, then you've got the shad spawn and, and this is the stages so it depends on what area of the country you're in and as the water temperature warms up you look for certain things early in the morning of course you look for birds I and mean, if you see a lot of the egrets and stuff on the banks in the shad eating birds then chances are there's a shad spawn going on or that's where the food source is and so i like early in the morning to hit the banks with some type of top water really paying close attention to what nature's giving you out there i mean there's a lot of subtle things going on that uh, you need to pay attention to. Like I said, the birds, you know, the banks, what type of forage there is. 
Are they brim bedding? Are they finished bedding? You know, there's certain things that you got to look for. And then as the summer progresses, and of course, like we talked about before, you move on out to the ledges. And on the ledges, you know, you don't really need to get out there before 9, 10 o'clock. So I would switch from the early, early morning thing and then start moving out on the ledges. And you can use your electronics. I mean, Lawrence is so strong right now as far as being able to see the fish on the drops and being able to tell whether they'll bite or not because of the position of them. In today's world, man, we don't even have to pick the rod up to check and see if the fish are there anymore. Now you can just ride over and look. And I would suggest strongly, if you haven't done so already, to do a little bit of research during the winter months on your electronics and learn how to use those electronics. Learn what a hard bottom looks like, a soft bottom looks like. You know, learn what fish look like and how they position themselves, the difference between bass and shad on your electronics. So that's what I would look for. You know, as far as going out there, if you're just a weekend angler, I would say I'd start on the banks, you know, with a spinnerbait or buzzbait early in the morning. Then as the day progresses, I'd move right straight on out to the closest drop with crankbait like a Bandit 200. You know, I tell you, a good place to look always is riprap, bridges, things like that. Certainly a great place to look for bass, and it's an easy find. And that'll trigger you. You know, one fish will tell you what the next one's going to do, and it'll trigger you into knowing what to do next. So as you progress through the system, you start to learn more and more about what's going on in the lake that you're fishing. Let me throw in something real quick. You mentioned about not moving out to the ledges until 9 or 10 o'clock, and you spoke about topwater. Do you generally try and chase shade and keep that bite going, or is that a non-issue, and is that kind of just a, a myth? No, I don't believe it's a, necessarily a myth. I believe they've preferred the shade, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. I mean, I've caught fish on Lazar Spook and at 12 o'clock noon in the heat of the summer. It just depends on the situation. You have to remember the food source is the key. It's always what's going on in nature. Like, you know, if you just had the snakes are reproducing and you got a little, lot of little small snakes around, a lot of stuff, well, spook comes into play or a big ribbon tail worm would come into play during that time. So really you have to let nature indicate what to do on that. Pete, I know in the summertime, you like to attack a lot of smaller bodies of water. Do you think there's some advantages there for novice anglers versus, you know, bigger bodies of water? Do you think it's a moot point either where you go? No, I I think that's a great idea, Kurt. I mean, I'm telling you, smaller bodies of water, the easier the fish are to find. There's a smaller search thing. But when you're fishing a large body of water, you just need to divide that up and make it several small bodies of water rather than just a huge thing that just blows your mind. You know, no different than you go to a farm pond or something you know it's all the same thing it's just you make it bigger or smaller you know about what type area you want to fish you know that's a really good point you know earlier you mentioned bridges and riprap easy to identify as bass habitat what makes this a likely place for bass to congregate and in general what are some specific conditions that you're looking for to identify areas that are more likely to hold bass on these types of structures you know i think riprap is just a natural hold for insects and then of course when you know rains, the insects wash in the water and, and then the bait fish feed on that or the little bluegill and then of course the larger predator fish feed on those. I think it's just a natural thing. And then bridges you come into play, it's just it's a funnel where water is funneled down always and there's a big bodies of water on both sides and it has to push through there. So that creates a light current which creates a place where the food source would stack up. You know, so those bass will get back there on the in the eddies of that and I'm it doesn't have to be raging current it can be so subtle that you can barely even see it even wind current you know a lot of times comes into play but uh that's the things that bridges you know riprap is so strong 
you know, when I think about riprap, I have to think about some of the easiest ways to find fish on riprap. It's just to get in your boat and get yourself about 20 feet out from the bank and get on top of the water and run on plane and watch the bottom. You know, if you're going along there and it's 10, 10, 10, 10, it goes 5, 10, 10, 10, then, well, you know, there's a road bed or something. A lot of times when they built these reservoirs, they had to have roads to haul that dirt out of the reservoir. So they built a road up on the thing, and then they covered all that up with riprap. So that's a good, easy way to find your place on riprap on a dam or, or any long stretch. I always look for some type of irregularity, whether it be a little point sticking out, a roadbed, whether it even be things like if you, all of a sudden you get to one area and you see grass and trees growing on the, in the riprap. Well, there's a reason that it's growing only there. It's a different type bottom, and a lot of times that right there is enough to trigger the fish to stack up on a place like that. There's so much to be said for that, and it's easy. You know, it's very easy for the average guy to do and the novice to find fish like that. P is a great topic. We're going to dive into this a little bit further, but we need to take a short break. Bass Edge Radio is going to be right back with more from FLW Tour Pro, Pete Ponds. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. All right, thanks for hanging tight. We are back with segment two, Bass Edge Radio. This segment brought to you by Mercury Marine as we return with FLW Tour Pro Angler Pete Pont and our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For the entire lineup of Lucas Oil, go to the BassEdge.com store for instant savings and flat rate shipping. It works. Well, Pete, as we discussed prior to the break, talking about bridges, riprap, some easy-to-identify bass-rich environments for anglers anglers out there. What are some of the techniques you like to use around the bridges and rip? You talked about finding irregularities, whether it's, uh, you know, current break or maybe some wind current or fishing pilings or maybe some old road beds associated with the riprap. What are techniques that you feel like are going to help break this down and actually locate bass? Well, for me, Kurt, you know, I've always been a bandit guy, and that kind of goes without saying. I mean, I like to have a bait that I can, what I call a search bait, and my preference is a bandit 200 and a bandit 300, and depending on how deep the water is that bait seems to catch all species and all sizes of fish it's a good good bait that you can run down through there and really crank it aggressively the variations that i do though is normally whenever i crank it in i'll try you know a start and stop and then all of a sudden i'll try pulling and then i might try just a slow steady presentation but always the fish is going to tell me what to do on the next fish and as the day goes by you're going to know exactly what type retrieve to use on that is such an effective way to find fish now once you find those fish you might catch you know several of them doing that but then you want to change to a different bait. In other words, if I catch, say, eight or ten fish in one little area on a roadbed, and I catch those on a bandit crankbait, then after they stop the crankbait, I switch to a different lure. I might throw a, you know, a lizard or something like that, like we talked about before. And once you do that, uh, you'll pick up a few more fish, and then switch back to the crankbait. But that bait is the search bait for me, and uh, that's the way I find those fish. Now, sometimes, you know, you might try a drop shot or even like a little jig around those 
those bridge pilings, and, and that's such a key place. But that's current-oriented stuff. I mean, it's, when you have a little bit more current, then they'll get back behind those bridge pillows, and you can drop your drop shot down there or any type bait. I've even used a real small, like a booyah jig, you know, and drop it down in there and suspend. You know, if you catch those fish suspended, it's a pretty cool way to catch them doing that. So current plays a little bit of a role in that, you know. Pete, before I go off in kind of a tangent on some other things here relating to current, I want to back up a bit. For those of us that might not know, break down two things for me. When you talk about a 200 or a 300, does that have to do with the size, like the length? Does it have to do with depth? Does it have to do with a wobble, if you could break that piece down? But then also, what about hooks? Do you feel that anglers need to change out crankbait hooks when they buy it off the shelves or, or give us some feedback there? Well, I apologize because I've used these baits for so long that I just it just flows out of my you know in my brain. You know, Bandit 200 is a small crankbait. It runs about uh, five to eight feet deep, and then uh, the 300 runs probably six to nine feet deep, something like that. Most of the time, the hooks that come on there are okay to get started, but once you crankbait a day or so with those, and you're going to need to change those. And my preference on that is the Hayabusa hook. They're strong in the Japanese market. I think they're probably number one. And then, you know, they're making such a strong come through in the U.S. market. It's a superior hook that doesn't break your pocketbook. Super, super strong and super sharp. I mean, whenever you touch those hooks, it just feels like they're what I call sticky sharp, and that's what I like to change out. That makes a big difference when you're fishing a tournament, or it also makes a big difference on your strike-catch ratio uh, a lot of times whenever you're fishing a crankbait. Well, it definitely does, and I know that coating that they have on there goes a long ways, and given my state of fishing, I almost need a dang fishing magnet on there if, if they can ever figure out how to do that to where if I can just get it in the general area, they'll just suck them in. But, uh, hey, I want to keep moving on because this is this – I some... need that hook too. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's keep going because this is good stuff. You talked about current. That is a factor, obviously, in and around bridges, and I know a lot of times when I go towards the headwaters, let's say up a lake or maybe even a river system, the current perhaps gets a little more pronounced even if they're not generating or let's say if we're in a lackluster rainfall and and there's just not a lot of water running but there's still that current that you speak of why and how are these areas similarly effective to target early summertime bass well i remember fishing oxbow lake one time an oxbow lake is off the mississippi river and it's just an old saddle type lake it's just basically a small pond off the mississippi river when the water level gets up a certain height you can get in there well you know current comes to play in that and whenever I was fishing in there we couldn't find the fish and we finally noticed that there was a place in the very top end where the water was falling out of and as it was falling it's just a slow very gentle current I mean it was nothing to it you know you would never even know it was current unless you throw a worm out there and could see it you know moving it makes your blind bow just a little bit but we found the fish stacked up there and what that was was a group of willow trees that was came down both sides in the middle it had a little wider opening and it basically created a funnel for those fish so the fish would sit behind the willow trees and as the current pushed by it pushes bait fish shad insects and things like that you know and of course bass are ambush predators like your cat at home i mean it likes you to jump out and get stuff it hides behind something and jumps out and gets it and that's the same thing they're doing they're relating to the food and it's an easy meal for them they can sit there in the slack current don't have to even don't do anything except for wait for something to come by. You know, it's kind of like me at my dinner table waiting on my wife to bring my supper to me. So. <laughs> 
Oh, no. you, you. <laughs> oh my god, I can't believe you just said that. I gotta make sure Kim listens that's to this right, podcast. That's right. I'm, I'm gonna record this and send it to Kim on your anniversary. Oh, no. I knew when I said it, I was gonna be in trouble. But anyway, no, seriously, it's just an easy meal for those fish. I mean, you know, with the current coming by, it's a big player. Anytime that you have current on a water system, it breaks all the normal rules. We all know, you know, in the wintertime, the warmest water is the best. And in the summertime, a lot of times the coolest water is the best. Well, current changes that. You know, in the wintertime, I've caught them in the wintertime of current blowing by in the coldest water on the lake. Like I said, current just breaks everything. So Let's talk a little bit more about current, specifically current seams. You know, we heard about current seams recently through a tournament that Wesley Strader won at Lake Norman. It was a BASS Open event. We see a lot of these scenarios like you're discussing with current that are important for cooling water, specifically in the summertime when the water is warmer and the fish are kind of overcoming the post-spawn doldrums and, and really looking to feed a little bit more. And it seems like the current will really prolong their activity because they have to be more aggressive in current and, and have to fight the current to survive because that's where a lot of the bait is being flushed. But current seems seem to be an important aspect. Can you explain to the listeners what a current seam means and then how you'll utilize that to your advantage in catching fish? Yeah, there's several things that come to mind when you say that, the current seams. The first thing is all the water doesn't run exactly the same speed. You might have mixing water. You might have the mouth of a creek coming out and then a real fast river running next to it, which the water level is holding back the water in that creek so it doesn't fall because, you know, the water level is up. Well, as that happens, you've got, when you've got current running, past it. Some of that water is not going to be moving and some of it is going to be moving. That creates what we call a current seam. And not only is a current seam a place to catch the fish, it's an easy place for you to position your boat. You know, when we go up and fish underneath the spillways and the dams and stuff, I mean, I grew up fishing that kind of stuff. And you can position your boat right there in what we call the slack current and you can fish the current seam. And I'm going to tell you, you know, I've also done that on the bank. You know, I fish below Ross Barnett Spillway and back and forth we had a boat or I used a boat we would go out there and the current seam was everything. You had to know exactly how it was laid out. You could be standing beside a dude and him catch them every cast or you catch them every cast and him not catch them every cast simply because he's throwing a foot further or a foot shorter than you are. So paying attention to where that seam is, where the slack water is, and the rate of fall whenever it gets there has a huge effect on whether you're going to catch fish or not. And once you figure it out, man, you can just load the boat because there's numbers and numbers of fish there. One of the keys that I do when I'm fishing the current seams is I'll cast my bait out there and I'll count it down. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, and so on. And I might get hit at ten or twelve, one thousand. But once I do that one time, then I'll repeatedly do it and then catch them over and over in the same place. Now to find those a little bit more difficult, you have to really make it an effort to where you count it. You actually count it down each time. And each time you try a different current scene. So if I start at 5-1000, that's going to fish a totally different current scene than I am when I start at 12-1000. So what that does, it just changes the position of your bait totally. So you're actually fishing a different area. So you've got that variable, but then also you want to throw in a pie shape. So start, you know, say at 12 o'clock, go to 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Now this is a little bit more advanced, but that's how you can figure out where those fish are. But if you really do it mentally, you can pinpoint those down to where you can catch 
that's from every single cast. It takes a little bit of effort, but I promise you, it'll work if you give it a try. Those are great tips right there, Pete. One last thing real quick on current seams. If you have a choice, do you like the fish adjacent to the seam or with the seam, or do you just vary it up depending on what angles that you have available? Well, you know, a lot of times it's what angles you have available to you, but the seam changes. I mean, this is such a complicated deal. The seam changes as the current shifts around. It's a moving body. Just imagine you're looking at a thunderstorm coming up and the hot wind and the cold wind are going different ways. So it's the same thing in the water. I mean, it doesn't always stay exactly the same. There's so many variables to this current fishing. It's something that is really, really strong. I mean, you really have to do a lot of research and a lot of effort on it. I mean, we kind of hit the basics of it, but there's so much more in depth to it. You know, Kurt, I know we'll probably push for time, but I got to say this. You can be standing out there and catch more fish off the bank in current situations than you can do in any other thing simply because you know where everything is because you're standing in one spot and you can make the adjustments that you need to make. First off, I just want to say we got all the time in the world for you, Pete, because you're delivering. I feel like we're setting a Sunday morning <laughs> yeah, service. No but, uh, you know, the the thing is that it's a little like trying to keep up with Kurt's brain. It's just all over the place, you know. I mean, the guy, yeah, yeah. He, he needs to be in bubble wrap because he bounces all over the, the room so much. So Yeah, you know, and it's very hard to explain on that, and, and that's the same thing that I'm probably doing in this interview. I, I really think a little research when it comes to current is going to go a long, long way. So I would strongly advise the guys to get out there and give it a try and do some of the adjustments and do some of the counting and even changing the weight of your lure changes everything, changes all the dynamics of it. But once you do locate it, it's Katie bar the door. I mean, it's some kind of fun. Man, I feel like I've learned a lot about fishing right now, but more importantly, the tip for the bubble wrap, priceless. <laughs> Thank you so much, Aaron. I would use that yeah, well, you can take that and get your new sponsor, 3M, I think is the top maker of that, Kurt. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. We got to move on to this episode's Nitro Performance Bass Boats listener question segment. Today's question comes from Adam Mattingly. So, Pete, you can answer this question for Adam. During post spawn or summer, we often get days that are slick, calm, and bluebird skies. It seems to be the toughest time for me to catch fish. Seems to be even worse in clear water. Other than finesse presentations, what are some other options that you might resort to to put a few more fish in the boat? You know, postpone, Adam, I guess is one of the hardest times to catch fish, period. You know, it's a transition time. Normally, after the spawn, first thing I look for is the shad spawn. Usually it happens if it's thread-fin shad around 72 degrees water temperature. The next thing I would look for is the bluegill beds. You know, it comes on the full moon right after the bass spawn, and those are really some effective areas to catch fish. I really believe if none of those were available, then some of the things I would be looking for, again, like I said before, is nature. I'd watch the birds. I'd watch the snakes and the frogs. It's always going to be food source after the spawn because after they mate, they sit up, sulk, relax, or refresh. You know, their tails are bloody and they've got a lot of energy that have been used up during the mating season. So after that, then they're naturally going to be, you know, a little bit worn out. But the thing that they do have to do is eat. So the food source is the key. you got to find out where the food source is in order to catch them. And you do that by looking at the banks and, and looking at nature. I hope I answered your question. 
Yeah, absolutely. I always did. wondered. I always wondered why Aaron's tail got bloody, but now I know it's mating season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that's one I'm sure I'll send to uh, to Diana too. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, that's why I'm always hungry. Hey, look, P. We appreciate you answering this question. I'm going to go out on that high note right there and just cut that conversation off because I feel like I just dropped a solid bomb on Aaron. But Adam. Thank you for your support of Bass Edge and sending in that question. Please contact us through our Facebook or send us an email to support at BassEdge.com. Letting us know you heard Pete answer your question right here on Bass Edge Radio, and we'll send you out a gift from the show. And a reminder to all Bass Edge listeners, send in your questions to the show via our website at BassEdge.com to have a shot at winning the next Bass Edge gift. You may also email us, support at BassEdge.com, or certainly all of our our social media presence. Pete, as always, just a pleasure to have you on the show. And, you know, one of the things that stands out, and I know we talk about it a lot, all three of us go back a long ways, but uh, every time that you're on or that I'm around you, you bring up something that is new, but yet explain something like current seams that is such a broad and technical topic, and I learned a ton. So if nothing else, uh, I will definitely be using that. But as we do have to shut this down, give us a thought or two before we send you out of here. Well, you know, first, of course, I'd, I'd like to thank you guys for all the compliments. I think you kind of overdid it a little bit, but I appreciate it. My head's getting so big, I can't get out the door right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's been a good trip. You know, Aaron, I remember the first time you came to the house, some of the more exciting times of my life. You know, we were doing television shows and all that stuff. And Kurt, same. You know, we all kind of worked hard to put this thing together. And I'm glad that Bass Edge has been such a success for you, Aaron. And I think that it's going to continue continue to with the effort that you guys put in it you know Kirk's a super hard worker he always has been and and I think he always will so intelligent and he doesn't make you feel like you're not very intelligent when you're around him because he just kind of ignores you when you say something (laughs) stupid you know (laughs) but uh it's a pleasure to be with you guys I really appreciate you calling he's been great we're going to send you off with four last questions for you what is your favorite song well, you know, I have a song that really hits home to a bass fisherman, and it's called Life is a Highway, sung by Rascal Flatts. It's an older song, but it certainly talks about someone living the life of being on the road and moving. You know, just as you get there uh, in a tournament situation, you start feeling at home, you got buddies, and you pack up and go somewhere else. You feel much like a gypsy, but uh, it's what we all truly love, and, and life is what you make out of it, and that's what this song talks about. So that would be the song choice for me awesome the very detailed account i like that just like your answers for fishing it's perfect what lake would you retire on and why any lake oh, you can pick man. any lake shoot there's several that come into mind i would like to be you know lake amistad pops into mind because it's so scenic and i really fell in love with that lake back when we went there the very first time with bass sure um in the town is just a small town that has a lot of good people in it so I would probably have to choose that lake if I had to choose one to retire at. Awesome. What was the last picture you took with your phone? That would have to be last night. I was telling my grands. Actually, it's a video. Is that a, does that count? Yeah, that counts. Okay. So the kids have exams this week. Okay. And I was telling my son, you better study for your 
test for your exam tomorrow. I said, if you don't right. pass it, you could have a serious problem. You could fail, you know. And, he's, oh, sure. and so I wanted to get his reply, so I videoed him. And, of course, you know, <laughs> at it being a mid-teenager level, he's kind of gets smart aleck every now and then. So I videoed him because I wanted to show him what he, how his response was. Well, when he turned around and saw me videoing, he all of a sudden just, yes, sir, no, sir, I know I'm <laughs> 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 he changed his attitude, you know. So that was the last thing that I looked at on my phone last night. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. And who will win the 2018 FLW Angler of the Year as it concludes later on this month at Lake St. Clair? That's a really tough one. I tell you, I like uh, Mark Rose is leading it right now from what I understand. That's right. I think you got Scott uh, Martin in there and then Brian Thrift. You know, all those guys in the top ten are just outstanding. Yeah, I think you got Chris Johnston, who's a smallmouth yeah. expert in there, too, that's close to the top. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would like to say Mark, but I think Scott's probably going to be very hungry for it. Well, that's a hard I just don't know. If I had to pick, I'd say probably uh, Scott Martin. He's hungry. Awesome, man. So. Awesome. Well, that's a solid pick, and we'll see how it all wraps up later on this month. Pete, it has been awesome, once again, having you on the show. Thanks again for being with Bass Edge Radio. We will return right after these messages. know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour providing the most dependable most trusted keel protection for your boat guaranteed for life so give your boat the performance edge put on the protection the pros pick keel guard keel protectors Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. It's good to hear from our buddy Pete's and man, I just really got a lot out of those current seams and that discussion. I think that's going to be a topic, Kurt, we're going to have to further elaborate on just to really fully understand it. You bet. I think Pete did a great job tapping into it and also with the riprap and the bridges and, and the other quickly identifiable cover that bass tend to hang around that are great for uh, anglers to pick up real quickly this time of year and, and I think catch some bass. You know, one thing we didn't talk about a whole lot is utilizing some finesse techniques along those riprap lines, you know, whether it's a wacky worm or maybe a Texas rig worm or something like that. Shaky head, very, very popular on corners of riprap where bridges run around, current seams, those types of things. They can pick off fish when uh, that reaction strike is really not quite happening, but they're still fishing the area that are willing to bite. You just got to be able to adapt, uh, work a couple different techniques, and eventually you'll connect with the fish. One other thing I wanted to mention real quick with Adam's question, which Adam 
Adam, again, appreciate you sending in those questions. Keep sending those in, everybody, to us here at Bass Edge Radio through our social media or our website, BassEdge.com. But Adam, one thing I want to add to this conclusion on, on your question of how to effectively catch fish and maybe slick calm or bluebird skies, and that is go directly to these areas that we're talking about that have current. If you're sitting in an area that is still and very calm, the fish aren't going to be very active. You got to hit them on the head, get lucky, get them to react to something that you throw right in front of their face. But if you can run up the river or get into a choke point like a bridge area typically has and find some of these current seams, I think they're going to help you catch fish on these slick, calm days because now you've got water movement, you've got activity, things moving around in the water. That's going to help you put some fish in the boat when it gets tough out there. Yeah, good advice there. And water movement, man, it's getting hot. And with that, just a a little friendly reminder, don't forget, use sunscreen. And also there's a lot of boats and a lot of pleasure boaters and people out there on personal watercrafts. Just keep your head about you because as we know, not everybody can drive a boat as good as you. So do a little defensive driving. But unfortunately, we are going to shut this down. Well, maybe not unfortunately, Kurt. You're probably kind of ready to get rid of us and move on. But uh, hey, we've got another great episode that's coming up July 1st already. Hope you have a wonderful couple weeks. Be sure stay abreast with everything Bass Edge on all of our social media applications. Be sure to visit the website BassEdge.com for Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. I am Aaron Martin. So long, everybody. Edge is presented by MegaWare Keelguard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge, brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.